If we start a new series, each year we do, if you've been here with us for the last 12 years, every January, we start off with some similar topics. You say, why do you do this every year? And here's why we do this. Just a quick reason why we do this. Because I want you to be closer to God in December of 2019 than you are in January of 2019. That I don't want you to be at the same place at the end of this year than you are at the beginning of this year. That we want you to grow. We want you to be able to take steps in God that you would be closer to God at the end of this year than you are at the beginning of this year. So we start in January by just refreshing and resetting on some fundamental practices that are important to put in your life and for every Christian to have in their life that Christians have found helpful throughout the ages and uh, that have been helpful to grow in Christ. You shouldn't be only growing in God on Sunday mornings. And coming and hearing from God from Sunday mornings. My heart and my goal for you is that you would hear from God daily in your life. That you would be at a place where you would come and feed yourself, in a sense, from God's word. And so that's why we do this at the beginning of the year every uh, January. And we kind of start off with that. And so we're starting off with that again this year. And this year's series is called Who We Are who we are. And as we do that, let me start off with this. Um, You know, each of us at times in our lives come to a place where we might come against something we want, we have something we want to do, but there's someone in our lives that tells us we shouldn't do it. Uh, Best example is maybe a child. Have any of you ever, can you think back when you're a child where you wanted to do something, but you knew your parents would not have wanted you to do that? Anyone? Am I the only one? Okay, we got, we got someone boldly. Some people boldly, like, yeah, like every day, like all the time, right? You, some things you want to do, and then you know your parents don't want you to do it. And then as a child, sometimes maybe you come up with strategies to try and get your parents on board, right? And maybe it's, you know, one parent you can go to with some things, and another parent you'll go to with other things. Or maybe you'll play one off the other. Oh, mom would let me do it. Or dad would, you know, you come up with strategies to try and do it. Or how many of you have heard um, this one, had a child come up to you and say something like this? I'm going to ask you something, but before I do, will you promise to say yes? Anyone, anyone heard that one? Yeah. Anyone use that one? Yeah. Like, like, right? And then the wise parent at that moment says, well, it depends on what it is, right? But, you know, the, the child doesn't want that answer. They want to, well, you promise to say yes. Because there are things that sometimes we want that we know that someone is going to tell us that we shouldn't have. The thing is, it doesn't just happen with kids. It continues as we mature and get older. And we want to do something, and maybe a spouse says, ah, it's not a good idea. Or maybe a coworker, or maybe a boss, or maybe a police officer says, you know, that's not a good idea. We have things we might want to do, but are not good for us. Hopefully at those times, maybe you have a good friend in your life that will tell you, not to do that and speak some wisdom into your life at times. Here's the thing. When it comes to Scripture, when it comes to the Bible, if you spend much time reading the Bible, you are eventually going to come to a part of it that's hard. You're going to eventually come to a part that's difficult. You're going to eventually read something or hear something preached. You're going to go through one of these Bible reading plans that Pastor Marvin was talking about, and you're going to read something 
and it's going to be hard, and it's going to confront you. Maybe it's something you are doing, or maybe something it's telling you to do that you don't want to do. And what do you do at those moments? Do you come to God, kind of like that child, and say, God, I'm going to ask you something, and I want you to promise to say yes? Or do we have a different approach? So we're starting with this series is who we are. So each week we're going to have a statement on who we are as Christians. And this is this morning's statement. It's on the back of your Connect card. And uh, you can fill in the blanks. And we're going to have these statements. And we're actually going to come back to these statements throughout the year about who we are and what we believe about these particular things uh, on these next few weeks. And we're going to kind of work in them and work them in the fabric of who we are throughout the next year. But as Christians, as believers in God, what we are and who we are and what we believe about Scripture is this. We don't change the Bible to fit our lives we change our lives to fit the Bible. That's the statement. That's who we are. That's who we are at Mount Hope. That's who we are as Christians. We don't change the Bible or we don't change God's word to fit our lives. We change our lives to fit the Bible. We change our lives to fit what God's word would say. And now maybe you say, well, that's pretty obvious, of course. That's what I thought you believed. That's what I believe. That's, you know, nothing striking, nothing new there. And maybe not, but I would say this. You may sound, think it sounds obvious, and of course that would be the case, but you might be surprised at how hard it is to live it out authentically and how easy it is to change and manipulate God's word to fit your life and what you want it to say. Each of us can be tempted to do that. You see, for most Christians will believe that God's word is true and should be followed right up until the moment it confronts or conflicts with something they want to do. And then you have a choice. In that moment, you may be tempted not to be shaped by God's word, but to shape God's word into saying what you want it to say or what you want it to mean. We give into that temptation And then the voice of God starts to sound an awful lot like the voice in our own head. And it starts to sound like our voice. And our voice sounds like God's voice. And God's voice starts to sound an awful lot like our voice. Which is why at Mount Hope, we will every year and beyond that constantly encourage you to be in the Bible. To be in God's word. So that our voice doesn't just sound like, uh, so that his voice doesn't sound like our voice. And the reason this is an issue in our world today is because I think mainly for a number of reasons, but the main reason is because we live in a world, we live in a society, we live in a culture that has placed an idol before us. And that idol is human flourishing and human happiness. That place that the primary place in much of our lives before us is whatever makes you happy and whatever is going to make you flourish, like just go after that. And whatever doesn't, You're going to have to put that off to the side. Like, don't pay attention to it. We live in a world that says the most important thing for you is human flourishing and personal happiness. And everything else can be sacrificed or axed if it doesn't lead to that. Theologian Charles Taylor puts it this way. He says, self-sufficient humanism... He says, I mean by this is a humanism accepting no goals beyond human flourishing, nor any allegiance to anything else beyond this flourishing, 
of no previous society was this true. Uh, Maybe a little heavy philosophically for 12 o'clock on a Sunday morning, but, but hang with me for a second. I haven't done the research that Charles Taylor did. I'm going to have to trust him on this, the sociological research. But what he's saying is this. There's no previous human civilization on record that has put humanism, human flourishing, above everything else in life. That everything outside of it, a God, spiritual forces, we can ignore that. Because the most important thing is us. And we are the center of the universe, and we are the center, and the most important thing is us, and we have enthroned ourselves as gods. Now, you may not feel it or see it that way all the time, but I promise you that permeates the world we live in. And every advertisement that comes your way is geared this way. You're the center of it. You're what's important. What makes you happy is important. Chuck everything else. All the human philosophies that come your way, they're, they're underlying everything. So why is that important? Because you come to a Bible that's countercultural and says God's word that's going to ask you to do some things that maybe aren't going to make you happy in the short run, even though they're good for you in the long run. And what do you do with that? Where will your allegiance be in that moment? Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at two stories in Scripture. I want to look at two stories, uh, two accounts of two men. Both of them had a word of God come into their life and had to decide what to do with it. They're very different men. They live at very different times in history. They live at very different stations in life. The only thing maybe they have in common is both their first names start with A. Other than that, they're very different. But they both had a word come into their life that was a hard word from God and had to decide what to do with it. And I want to look at it because I think when you, if you will take the step this year to read the Bible, or if you will take the step to get into the Scriptures in a way you never have, you're going to come up to places in Scripture where you're going to have a hard work. And what will you do with it at that moment? And why is it important? The first man, his story is found in the book of First Kings. And if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. One of those apps that Pastor Marvin just talked about, just click over there. Or if, you have, if you're using one of the Bibles that's in the chair racks, uh, 1 Kings chapter 22 is on page 304. Page 304 is 1 Kings chapter 22. And I'm going to give you a little background of the story before we, before we get into it to tell you exactly what's going on. Let me give you a little bit of the setting and the characters, the people that are involved in this account of Scripture of what happened Uh, what's going on in this time in history as God's word speaks to us about what we can learn from it today. Here's what's going on. Two main characters, one is, well, three, but uh, one's name is Ahab. Uh, The guy I want to look at is King Ahab. And he's the one that gets a word from God that's hard, King Ahab. And here's the deal. He lives about 850 B.C. That's when he is. He's living about 850 B.C., uh, and he's king of a nation, the nation of Israel. Now, here's what you have to understand. At this time, Israel is split into a northern and a southern part. Northern part's called Israel. Southern part's called Judah. In the northern part, Ahab is king. And uh, he is king, and he's reigning, and he wants to do what kings are wont to do. He wants to take over some land that he doesn't have. He wants to take over a piece of land called Ramoth-Gilead. He wants to take over this piece of land, but he knows that he probably needs some help. And so he's going to talk to another king, and that's the king of the southern kingdom, and his name is Jehoshaphat. 
Say that with me. Jehoshaphat. Say it again. Jehoshaphat. Good. You guys are old friends. You know Jehoshaphat now. He wants to, he wants, he's going to need some help. So he talks to Jehoshaphat, who's king of the southern nation. And he says, look, I want to take over Ramoth Gilead. Why don't you do it? Let's do it together. Let's, let's go. Let's take this land. We're kings. We should go and do what kings do. We should go and take land and go and conquer it. And that's what he wants to do. Jehoshaphat says, well, he doesn't say yes, and he doesn't say no. He says, well, why don't we see what God thinks about this? He said, well, let's get the mind of God on this. I hope when you have a major decision to make that you and I would do the same thing. We have a major decision. Someone is presenting us with what looks maybe like a great opportunity that we would say, well, let's get the mind of God. What does God think about this? And so he says, we should ask God what he thinks about this situation. And so we pick it up with Jehoshaphat, Ahab, and that's the situation in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 5. It's a great story, great account. It's, uh, and here's what, here's what it says. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Pause. I'm going to let you know what's going on here. Ahab, 850 BC, did not have a Bible like we have to confront. And the Holy Spirit, which later gets released in the New Testament after the ascension of Jesus, hasn't been released. So how do people hear from God in this time? Well, the way that kings and people hear from God is mostly through prophets. Prophets spoke from God to the people. A priest spoke from the people to God. And that's mainly the relationship that was going on between God and the people in this time. And so Ahab, being a king, has prophets. And when he wants to hear from God, he calls in his prophets. So he calls in 400 prophets. Should I do this or should I not? Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, now here's what's going on here. Jehoshaphat is wise, and he's a little suspicious. And he's thinking that Ahab probably does what you would never do, but what some people do. And that is he has surrounded himself with voices that will affirm what he wants to do. That he has essentially surrounded himself with yes men who will say whatever he wants to hear. Now, you wouldn't do that, but Ahab did that. And some people do that. And so Jehoshaphat's suspicious of that's what's going on. So he says... Is there not here another prophet of the Lord who we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah the son of Imla, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. So again, I know you wouldn't do that, but that's what Ahab does. He doesn't want to listen to this Micaiah guy. And then Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imwa. And now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. 
And all the prophets were prophesying before them. All right, now here's what's going on. Here's what's going to happen here. So now Jehoshaphat and Ahab are waiting. We sent the messenger, go get Micaiah. Let's see what he has to say. But now we're waiting. So what happens in the waiting? Well, we still got these 400 prophets here. And they are going to double down on what they said. They're like, no, this is the word from God for you. Especially a man named Zedekiah. And he says this. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenaah, made for himself horns of iron and said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, go up to Ramoth-Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. They are like, this is it. 400 of us, one voice. This is what you should do. Then the messenger who went to get Micaiah, then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And I hope all of us will have people in our lives that would say that, that whatever the Lord speaks, I will speak. And when he had come to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? You think you know what's coming, don't you? But here's the answer he gives. And he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But I don't think that's how he said it. I can't tell because it, tone doesn't come through the text. But I think he said it more like this. Go up, the Lord will give it into the hands of the king. Sarcastically, he said it in a way that the king knew he wasn't telling the truth. He said it in a way that the king knew he was just saying what he wanted to hear because the next line is this. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he called him out on it. He knew. He knew. It was a game. He knew that wasn't really what God had told him. And he said, this is Micaiah, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. So here's the word. Sheep without a shepherd, people with no master, that means the king's dead. Ahab's the king. He's saying, you're going to die if you go do this. That's, that's the word from God. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but only evil? And here is this story of this man who receives this word from God. I'm not going to read the rest of this account, but what happens, because everyone has a choice in that moment. What are you going to do when you get a word from God? What are you going to do with it? Well, Ahab chose to ignore it, chose to ignore Micaiah's words. And he actually said, look, put Micaiah in prison until I come back. And Micaiah says, if you come back, I didn't have a word from God. Basically said, you're not coming back. And he went into battle. He tried, he, he hedged his bets a little bit. He thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to go in looking like a king. Normally, kings would go into battle with all their regalia, all their chariots. You knew who the king was when they went into battle. He said, I'm going to disguise myself 
as just a regular soldier in the army. No one will know I'm the king. And the other armies had said, only fight the king. Well, you don't know who the king is because he's disguised as a soldier. As the scriptures speak, the battle goes on. A random soldier, the scriptures say, shot a random arrow and it hit Ahab in one of the chinks in his armor and he died. And the word of the Lord through Micaiah comes true. Comes true. And here's the thing. He received a hard word from God, but he decided to ignore it. And we also have a choice. See, Ahab had surrounded himself with numerous voices that would agree with him and kept the one dissenting true voice far from him. Do we also spend most of the time reading and listening to voices that tell us what we want to hear and keep the Bible, God's word, the one true voice, far from us. We don't read it or listen to it. We have it. It's on a shelf. But that shelf has a lot of other books that get more of our attention. See, sometimes we surround them. We can do the same thing. We can make the same errors. And we don't have 400 prophets, but we've easily got 400 books, magazines, podcasts, articles, voices that have a louder influence in our, voice, in our lives. The reason Ahab didn't like Micaiah is interesting. It's not because what he said wasn't true. He, did not, he was not interested in the truth. He did not like him because what he said was not agreeable to him. He says, I hate him for he never prophesies good concerning me but evil. For Ahab, the point of the prophet was to say good, nice, and agreeable and uplifting things to give you your best life now. If a prophet doesn't do that, then what is the point of a prophet? Just go out and find another prophet. Ahab was not interested in truth from God, but messages that were pleasant for his life. And in the same way, many today are not interested in truth, but rather someone who will say agreeable things that they want to hear in order to enhance our life on earth. If a message does not enhance my enjoyment of life here on earth right now, then what good is it? What's the point? There are plenty of other prophets or podcasts or experts or books or talking heads or celebrities or scientists or whatever who will say what I want to hear and enhances my life right here, right now. So I'll just go and listen to them. And this is the danger. This is the danger in the world that we live in of just surrounding ourselves with voices that will say what we want to hear. Whereas I would say when you choose to get into this book, God's word on a regular basis, you choose to say, I will listen to what God has to say. Some things are going to be uplifting and encouraging to you. Some things are going to be hard. But you listen, and you listen for God's voice to speak to you. And in the moment when you come across something hard, will you ignore it? Will you try and change it or rationalize it? Oh, God must have meant this. Oh, he couldn't possibly mean that. 
Or will we do something else? And for that something else, let's look at one other story in Scripture of another man. We're going to fast forward in history uh, about 900 years to the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 9. If you're in the Bible in your chair there, it is page 917. This man's living about 900 years after Ahab. It's the first century A.D., It's after the wife, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The church is just in budding form. And the message of Christianity is starting to go out, but it's misunderstood. It's accepted by a few and rejected by many. And one man that rejects it wholeheartedly is a man named Saul. And he's a strong Jewish man who's faithful to God and believes that the message of Christianity is complete blasphemy and anyone who practices it and certainly propagates it deserves to be persecuted, arrested, and even killed. In fact, Paul or Saul is there and when the first martyr killed for the Christian faith named Stephen is killed and stoned, Saul is there holding the coats of the men that stone him. And so he is ardently against it, rejects it until Jesus confronts him in a vision, comes to him, and literally knocks him off his high horse and corrects his uh, misguided pursuit of truth, tells him that Jesus is Lord and that he needs to stop persecuting those who follow them. And at the same time that God is speaking to Saul, he's also speaking to another man, and this is the one I want us to look at, a man named Ananias. Here's our other A name, Ahab and Ananias. He's speaking to a man named Ananias. Ananias is a disciple of Jesus. He's a devout believer, and he's heard about Saul. And God comes, and Jesus speaks to Ananias, and in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, here's what happens. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. He is the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So here's what's happened. Ahab got a hard word from God. Ananias got a hard word from God. Here's Ananias' hard word. Go and pray for Saul. Go and pray for Saul. And Ananias' first reaction, maybe, maybe like someone of your first reaction, he wants to make sure, he thinks, well, God, I may have some information that you don't quite have. 
I want to make sure because, because I know, know some things that maybe, you, maybe you're just not up on the latest news. You know, I just want to set you straight, God. So he actually tells God, God, I've heard about this man, Saul. He persecuted the saints in, in Jerusalem, and he's come here able to persecute us too. He's like, so, so, you know, now you know God. So you don't want me to go pray for this Saul. And God tells him, go. Go and pray for Saul. And now Ananias has a hard word from God. Something he would not have expected. Something he did not want to do. Something he does not see the wisdom of. He cannot see how this could possibly. He's going to put his own, talk about personal happiness. He's going to put his own life in jeopardy. By basically turning himself into this guy who's seeking out Christians. God says, go. And what will he do? Will he ignore it? Will he try and change it? Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, that's an important two words. He's not using the word brother in a casual, callous way. When he calls him brother, he is trusting the word that God gave him that now Saul is also a believer. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, taking food, and he was strengthened. When we, when our lives don't align with God's word, we have three choices. We can ignore it, we can change it, or we can obey it. When our lives don't line up with God's word, when there's something in our life that you come to a scripture and you come to a place in God's word where it says it's telling you to do something or it's telling you not to do something and that doesn't align with where you are in life, you and I have three choices. You can do Ahab, you can ignore it or try and change it. Lord, you didn't really mean that. Or Lord, you didn't mean all of that. Or Lord, you didn't, you know, I change it. Or we can obey it. Ananias chose to obey. Ananias chose to obey. This word on the surface didn't appear it was going to give Ananias his best life now, but in fact, Ananias' perspective had a very real effect in putting his life in danger, but he followed it. Why? Because it was God's word, and he obeyed it. But as Oswald Chambers says, the majority of us do not enthrone God. We enthrone common sense. We make our decisions and then ask the real God to bless our God's decisions. That we enthrone common sense. What's that look like? Well, God must think this about this particular subject. Why? Well, because I think this about this particular subject, and God's a God of common sense, and so he probably thinks this too. We don't enthrone God. We often enthrone our own common sense or what we think God would say. So, are you Ahab or are you Ananias? 
are you a more polite Ahab, more subtle, but still ignoring and changing God's word to fit your life? Or are we Ananias? God, I don't understand it. Yet Paul, Saul, who later becomes Paul, ends up being the greatest church planter the world has ever known, planting churches all across Asia and Europe, taking the gospel to the very highest levels of power through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing most of our New Testament. This is Saul, who God told Ananias to go pray for. But he trusted and obeyed. So we trust God's word. We must trust and have our lives shaped by God's word and not shape our lives, not shape God's word to fit our lives. Tim Keller in a tweet this week or last week put it this way. I thought it was a good way to put it. If we pick out which parts of the Bible we dislike, we actually have a God we've created. How can that God ever call you out on anything? If you pick out the parts of the Bible you dislike, how can a God ever call you out on anything? Because you serve, you stand over the word as God. Say, no, I don't like this, so I won't pay attention to that. So here's how it looks, quickly. Here's how it looks. How does it look? Why? What am I suggesting? What am I exhorting you to? What am I asking? What am I imploring? I'm imploring this. Read it. Just read it. Just get into the scriptures. If you never have... If it's hard, then start something. So if, if, you know, don't try and start with an hour a day. Start with five minutes a day, ten minutes a day. Pick a reading plan out of that U version that works for you. Look at the Immerse plan that's written, you know, it's, it's the Bible text, but it's written maybe in a format, um, literally, that, uh, that is easier for you. But start somewhere and read it. Read God's word. And here's why. Because when I don't read God's word on a regular basis, on a daily basis, let's just take this example. Maybe you sit there and about a topic of God and you say, I wonder what God has to say about, say, giving. And then either you just assume that, well, the Bible probably says what I think about giving. Or maybe you think, no, I shouldn't do that. I'm going to go and find out what it says. And you do a quick Google search or you go in your Bible and maybe you do a good search or maybe you don't. And maybe you look at all the passages or maybe you don't. And maybe you interpret them in the way that they're meant to be interpreted or maybe you interpret them in the way that supports what you already thought going in. Contrast that to this. Because one is us bringing our questions to the Bible. What I want is for the Bible to bring its questions and God's word to bring its questions to us. So contrast that to this. It's a Tuesday in April any Tuesday in April, and you just wake up first thing in the morning, and what you do is you pick up your Bible passage to read and your Bible plan that day, because that's what you do every day. And so if it's a day, it's Tuesday, you're going to do that. So you pick up your reading plan and you start to read. And maybe you read a verse like Proverbs 14, 31, and you read these words, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And then you pray. And as you pray, you sense God's Holy Spirit asking you, am I kind to the needy? Do I oppress the poor? Well, that changed things radically. Because now I'm not going to the text with my questions. Now God's word is coming to me and questioning me. 
And I don't control the agenda. But this happened to be Tuesday in April and the reading plan, and it comes to me, and all of a sudden God's asking me, how are you doing on this part of your life? And that's what I've seen happen in my life time and time again. And I think many people in here who say have spent time in God's word regularly might say the same thing. That you go to God's word and you're not, I'm not treating it like Google, you know, putting it in what I'm looking for. And then when I get what I need, I shut it down until I need something again. You know, I'm going to it every day on a regular basis and just looking, God, what do you have to say to me today? I believe God wants to speak to you. And it's not just on a Sunday morning from this pulpit. I believe God wants to speak to you every day from his word and through his spirit. And so I encourage you, three steps for being shaped by God's word. Read it, understand it, obey it. Read it, seek to understand it, and obey it. Are three steps to make sure that you are shaped by God's word and you're not shaping God's word. And you're not shaping God's word to fit your life. When we shape God's word to fit our lives, God's word, how do you know you're doing that? God's word never asks us to do hard or uncomfortable things. If God never has asked you to do a hard or uncomfortable thing, you may be shaping the Bible to fit your life. Because when we are looking at the Bible and shaping our lives to it, there will be hard, uncomfortable things that God asks us to do. When we're shaping God's word to fit our lives, God's voice sounds an awful lot like our voice, and then our voice ultimately becomes God's voice in our lives. When we're shaping God's word to fit our lives, we neglect parts of the Bible, not because they're hard and we don't understand them, but because we understand them perfectly and they're hard. And so we neglect them. It could be just as easy, it could be easy to think about this message in light of what other people and how other people may be twisting it and how other people may be twisting the Bible to meet their agenda or what they want. But I don't want to, I want us to be careful. Look within ourselves today. Are there places where I, where the voice of God sounds an awful lot like my own voice? And I have twisted the Bible to fit my agenda. Places in our lives, it would be, there are easy places to see, but maybe places in materialism where we just want to support, we want the Bible, of this course it supports what I think about possessions or positions nationalism or racism or gluttony or divorce, sex outside of marriage, the poor, the widows, hell and eternity apart from God without faith in Jesus, the exclusivity of Jesus as the way, slothfulness and laziness, gossip and purity, all these places where we may be tempted to say, oh, God probably thinks what I think about these things. Where do we look? Say, God, what do you? Speak to us. Let me hear God's voice on it. Let me hear God's voice on this situation. And so we are a people. We are shaped or we are changed by God's word. uh, We are shaped. Our lives are changed by God's word. And we do not change God's word to fit our lives. Finally, we'll close with this. I'm not going to close with a song and a prayer today as we might normally do. Rather, instead of that, I'd like you to stand and I want to close with an exhortation and a scripture for you. 
Because if I close with a song and a prayer, you may mistake that for your response actually have taking action on this word. And I don't think that's the action God wants you to take. God this morning wants us to take action to commit to reading his word, to being in it, whatever that means for that next step for you. So I will close instead with an exhortation from Paul. Saul eventually became Paul, and he wrote, and he wrote to his disciple Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, he wrote these words. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then listen to these words. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Amen. Now, Mount Hope, go. Go and read. Go and understand. And go and obey God's word. And may God strengthen us and empower us to do that. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.